Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by United Bank. United Bank knows what an important role agriculture plays in our local economy. At United Bank, they are here to support local farmers with financial products and services designed specifically for agribusiness, including real loans for farmland, equipment loans, working line of credit, and more. Truth is, they deeply value the contribution agriculture plays to our community, and they help our local farmers build successful businesses. They want to see you succeed. Learn more at unitedbank.com or stop by any United Bank branch. United Bank, all loans subject to credit approval, equal housing opportunity lender, member FDIC. And brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and services. And now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at BucksIslands.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Hey guys, and welcome to another special episode of the Great Days Outdoors Podcast Network. This week I'm joined with Butch Theory and Butch. We decided to go in depth on something that has really come up a lot in all of our fishing reports, and that's why we want to go in depth on it. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're fishing in, making longer casts can be something that you should want to know more about, whether you're an inshore guy, an onshore guy, an offshore guy. There's been plenty of times in my life where I wish I could have cast just a little bit further. I couldn't quite reach the fish. I could maybe visually see them. But what I'm learning after we do podcast after podcast is that probably more than likely, there's been a lot of times I should have been making longer casts and I didn't even know that it was hurting me. It's been interesting to see how, whether we're talking about Northwest Florida, Alabama saltwater, this is something that all the really good guides are telling us we need to focus more and more and more on. Yep. Agreed, man. It's going to be a really good show. We have two guys that are wealth of knowledge in the fishing and in the rod building industry. I'm excited to get into it for sure and learn a lot today. Yeah. Who we got coming on with us today? Yeah, Joe, today we have Jim Ising. He's the marketing director and technical consultant, as well as the rod father of God spacing, from what I understand. <laughs> we also have Captain Bobby Averscado, the A-Team Adventures, the Marshal of Mississippi Sounds. We have plenty of expertise in the building today. Guys, welcome to the show. I mean, before we jump into really why you want to cast longer and how to do it, uh, Jim, why don't you start out by telling us about how you got into this and what you do over at Angler's Resource? Well, I've been in the uh, outdoor marketing business for many, many years. I, I owned an ad agency in Jacksonville that specialized in hunting and fishing products for uh, about 15 years and then came over here to go to work for Angler's Resource in 2010 as the marketing director, had never built a fishing rod, knew nothing, called guides eyes, like yeah. so many other people do. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've learned everything from the ground up. 
the leg up I've had is that because of our association with Fuji, I have been able to, you know, sit and have dinner with the engineers and inventors that develop these products that know exactly what problems they're trying to solve. And that has been a, a huge advantage and put me in a position just being an average guy to know as much or more than most people about what you're trying to accomplish when you build a fishing rod. So I got a leg up there and, you know, I'm active in forums and Facebook groups and a lot of people ask me a lot of questions. I, I have to thank the Fuji engineers for that. Well, I'm looking forward to asking you a lot of those, a lot of those questions. You've probably gotten them all before and uh, we're going to record it today so that we can uh, maybe help you in the future, not have to answer so many, but <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Bobby, I've got a question for you. So, you know, I mean, we can talk about how to cast further, right? I mean, we're going to get into all those things, but I think it's very important before you get you know, on any kick to do anything is you got to understand the why. If you don't know why you're trying to do something, then you'll just look for an easier how-to and a different how-to. So the most important thing is why should we want to cast further? Why is it so important? Well, first of all, it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a great topic to be covering today because it is so important. Probably the biggest one, you know, single thing I would say is, is, is particularly if you're, and then we're talking mainly about shallow water applications here, is um, the further you can get away from the fish, the less chance the fish has knowing that you're there. And if you, you guys all fish enough to know that fish do two things in their life, they either eat or they keep from being eaten. That's the only two things they have to do in their whole life. And they don't do them at the same time. So when something's not natural to them, they go into that keeping from being eaten mode. <laughs> and not eating. So if you can get whatever you're throwing to them in front of them before they know you're there, you got a lot better chance to catch them. And that's the single most important reason why it's important to make long casts. And when you're in a shallow water application, even though you think you're being quiet, you know, we're showing up in these big old bay boats that are real slappy and they got electronics running and sometimes live well pumps running. You got power poles and rolling motors and all this stuff. And we're jumping up and down on the deck and all of that sound, tr you know, translates through the water a long way. So, you know, again, the gist of it is just, you know, being able to get the bait to the fish before the fish, you know, know, know you're there and go into that not being eaten mode. You know, Bobby, you're talking about, like you said, more of a shallow water application, but I see it in other, for, you know, other areas too. I mean, like I think out, you know, when we're blue water fishing and throwing a bop popper to yellowfin tuna that are coming up on top. I mean, sometimes you just can't get to them. Ling comes to my mind big time when you're trying to put a sneaky cast on one. Yeah. Or, or our surf guys, you know, sometimes they're trying to yeah, get true. out past that second sandbar and they, you know, don't want to have to wade out in the cold water and do it. So I, I definitely think there's applications in all types of fishing. You're coming at it today, you know, from, from that shallow water perspective. Is there a goal to shoot for? in terms of distance, Bobby, like, I mean, if I jump on your boat and you cast further than me, is that a problem? Or are we trying to look for a certain amount of yards? How do we know when we've reached long enough? Well, I, I, Jojo, I'll tell you exactly what I tell my charters. The first thing I tell them is don't hit me when you cast. That's rule number one. <laughs> the second thing I tell them they can hit each other, just don't hit me. The second thing I tell them is the one who casts the furthest is going to catch most fish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't say, yeah, it's great that he can cast 75 yards or 50 yards or whatever it happens to be. Whoever casts the furthest is going to catch the most fish. And that's generally the theme. So that's, you know, I, I couldn't like specifically put a number on it. But as we get more into this, 
you know, that we're going to talk about here shortly, but, you know, with some of the stuff that Jim's going to touch on as far as materials, I go to great lengths to set the, my equipment up so they can, you know, so it's easier for them to make a long cast. Right. So, you know, it's not really a number of saying, you know, throw it this far. It's throwing as far as you can. I want you to throw it as far as you can throw it. Yeah. Further's better. The longer is better. The, the one who the one who throws the furthest is going to catch the most fish. That's the way I that's the way I put it to them. So don't be afraid. Now, you know we're gonna we can get into a whole deal of where you know we get into like sight casts and accuracy casts. And fur, that's a whole other show. But but you know generally speaking, the stuff that I'm gonna I'm doing with the the people that I take, and even when I'm tournament fishing, the majority of the time we're doing everything we can to cast as far as we can, whether it be to cover more water or like I said to. Uh, you know, to keep your, your presence unknown to the fish, it, it, you know, the further you can cast, the better you're going to do most of the time. Yeah. Always go back to what Captain Richard always says. If we cast 200 times or 500 times in a day, and I can cast five foot further than you each time. I mean, that's at least, you know, 6,000 more feet or something like that. <laughs> that's probably not how the math works out. <laughs> I'm not so good with the numbers. I, I know him well enough that he had to have a calculator to do all yeah, of that. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but the point he's making is he's, he, he's covered a lot more water than you have. You know? yeah. Exactly right. Guys, let's take a quick break and take a minute to check out some of the businesses that keep this show free for you each week. Fishing Chaos invites all high school and college and social fishing teams to create a free team or club on the Fishing Chaos platform. Clubs can hold tournaments within the high school team or invite rival clubs and teams to compete in CPR, which is catch photo release events, as well as live weigh-in events, as Fishing Chaos supports most any tournament format. The addition of the new Fishing Chaos club management platform allows teams and clubs to easily communicate with their members about upcoming events. It automates the tracking of Angler of the Year, or Team of the Year series standings and collects all angler results. If you're interested in setting up a free team or club or in hosting a tournament on the Fishing Chaos app, please contact fishingchaos.com or call Jesse Wilson at 256-508-1853. And brought to you by MB Ranch King Hunting Blinds and Feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free blinds are built and constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. We also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or get a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King. Built in the pursuit of perfection. And brought to you by Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. If you own or run a boat, you know how difficult it can be to find the right company for the task at hand. Boaters List makes it easy to find the service you're looking for. Locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs or rentals of large yachts or even paddle boats, and all things in between at BoatersList.com. They will always strive to make it better on the water. So, Jim, if we're talking about long casts, and that's what we're talking about today, and we want that to be our focus, what do we need to be looking for in a fishing rod? I know we can break it down per component, but just starting out at the basics, you know, what do we need to be looking for in a fishing rod? Uh, in the situation Bobby's talking about where he's trying to make a long cast, uh, a lot of times you're fishing a popping cork and a 
and a shrimp and maybe a split shot. And you really kind of need to consider the total weight of the package you're trying to throw because one of the most important things in a longer cast is properly loading the rod that you're using to cast whatever weight. I mean, you can build a rod perfectly that, that's going to cast a half ounce is going to be the sweet spot. And if you put a three eighths ounce bait on there, you're going to be frustrated all day long and complaining about how far it casts at the end of the day. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't work right. And the reverse is true. If you put too much weight on a rod, you feel like you can't put all the power you need to into the cast. You feel like you're not moving the rod fast enough to cast it as far as you can. So I always recommend to people to try to find the sweet spot as far as lure weight goes. Beyond that, if you find the sweet spot, the next best way, as, as far as I'm concerned, to increase distance is to downsize the line and or go to braid. Braid is limp. It's smaller diameter. It goes through guides faster. So consequently, it's going to cast further. You're putting, when you load a rod, you're putting a certain amount of energy in the lure. And once that energy is expended, it's not going to go any further, no matter what you do. So you've got to, you got to put the whole package together with the line, the lure weight, and, you know, the blank and the way the guides are positioned on the rod. But, uh, Joe, let me add one more thing to what sure. you're thing to that to kind of answer. I know we're on gym, but there's, you know, when I heard your question there, one of the first things I thought of was length of the rod. You know, the longer the rod, the further you're going to cast it because you can generate more tip speed by, you know, the longer the rod. The problem is you run into is you can't take a 13 foot rod out there and throw an eight out. <laughs> there's got to be a trade off somewhere. So, you know what I'm saying? So there's a, like, and this kind of is getting into what Jim was talking about, but very generally speaking, you know, the longer the rod, the further you're going to cast it, you know, again, but it's got to be matched up with the, the amount of weight. You see those guys with those big surf rods, they got, I don't even know what size weights are putting on those things, but they're giant, you know. But the downside, if you go too long, is you lose that feel, too, when you're actually trying to catch the fish, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, in addition to what everything that Jim just said, which makes a lot of sense, you know, that's the other thing you'd, you'd consider, you know, is the application you're going to use rods for. You know, I have the luxury of being a rod builder too. And so I build rods specific to the application. The first conversation, I, I, I'm going to go off into a quick tangent here, but the first conversation I ever had with Jim, I had never built a rod, but we were talking and I said, yeah, I want to, um, I'm going to start building a, a few rods. I want to build, you know, just about a dozen or so just to have some good, you know, specifically popping cork rods. And, and he told me this, and I never, I tell everybody this when they talk about getting into rod building. He said, be careful that rod building's a lot like crack. You get hooked to it. So my two dozen rods or a dozen rods, I think I'm up around 250 now. So, wow. but what I was getting with all of that is um, I build my rod specific to the application. So I'm fortunate enough that I build, you know, popping cork rods. And I build slick lure rods. I build topwater rods. I build jig rods and they're specific to the application. And it makes a big difference, you know, so getting to like the popping cork rods are my rods where I don't care about feel it's a visual indication of a bite you know what i'm saying so i'm watching a cork go down so i build those rods long those aren't the ones that i'm you know use for a jig so i think it's important that we add that in there too when we start talking about setting the actual rod up to make the longest cast you can bobby i'm really glad you you brought that up because now all i got to do is go back to my wife and say see i don't have a problem like this guy's got 250 rods like i've got not even as many as i want 
I obviously need more, actually. Uh, you're depriving <laughs> yeah. me. And if you want me to be a happy spouse, you'll allow me more fishing rods. So, but let me know how that goes for you, Jojo. <laughs> she catches so, more fish than you, anyways. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, Jim, back to the sweet spot, right? Like, if we go to the store and we grab a rod off the shelf and we see that lure weight and it says, all right, it's a quarter ounce to three quarter ounce is the, is the lure weight. Is the sweet spot in the middle of that? I mean, how do we figure out a sweet spot? You almost have to put a lure on and cast it to, and you'll know, I mean, you can feel it. You'll, you'll feel like you can do anything with that lure mm-hmm. if it's in that spot. And there will there'll be a range slightly one way or the other, but there will seem to be one particular lure that works exceptionally well on the rod. I don't know how to describe that because I don't think lure weights are really that accurate. By the time you take a quarter ounce jig head and put a, when I mean, you put a four inch tail on it, it weighs one thing. You put a three and a quarter inch tail on it, it weighs something else. Who, who knows, but you can sure. it's definitely something you can feel. The other thing I didn't mention a second ago that has a lot to do with distance is the, the weight of the overall rod. Now people refer to that as speed. And what we mean by that is you simply can't move a heavier piece of equipment through the air as fast as you can a very light piece of equipment. So when you get into a higher modulus graphite type blank, a carbon fiber blank that might weigh half what an e-composite blank weighs, you're, you're gonna move it faster. When you move it faster, you load it deeper and you're gonna gain distance in the cast. And those carbon fiber rods are stiffer. They're, they're more brittle, they're more fragile. Yes, we all know that nowadays. We didn't when they first came out, but we know it nowadays. But keep in mind, this is something I learned early on that's always stuck with me. All, all a fishing rod wants to do is return back straight. That's all it's trying to do all the time. It's trying to get straight again. So you bend it, you load it, you put all that energy into bending it by how fast you're moving it. And all it wants to do is get it straight. And that's what actually launches your lure. So the more brittle the material, the stiffer, I shouldn't say brittle, it sounds fragile, but the stiffer the material in the blank, the stronger its tendency to return to straight position. So you get extra power, extra speed and extra power in a carbon fiber blank that you don't get in a lower modulus carbon fiber blank or an e-glass or a glass blank. You can just move them faster. And they're so much lighter that they're much easier to fish for a, a long time on a flat with a popping cork. There's no, there's much less fatigue factor in a lighter blank. And you know, weight is everything. They're more sensitive. You don't need that with a popping cork, but you do in a lot of other situations. For sure. But uh, weight, sweet spot. Maybe Bobby wants to address um, casting technique. <laughs> That's something that's certainly important, but. It doesn't matter how good it is with a poorly built rod, you're not going to cast far. Uh, but if it's a well-built rod and you have got a cruddy technique, you're not going to cast far either. So that certainly plays into this as well. So the more, when we're looking at a power rating, to go back to what you were saying, the stiffer a rod is, the more power it's going to have? Yeah. Well, now, yes, that's, it's no. That's not right. I'm I glad. I'm, I'm glad. Hey, I'm, hey, whenever I'm at For the sure. store can, and I'm staring at the rod rack, it. I'm always like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no. You can you can take carbon fiber and you can build it to be to be very soft and have almost a parabolic bend. It won't have an extra fast tip or fast. It could bend in the midsection. It could bend all the way to the handle. 
And you could build that on carbon fiber and make it very light. So no, the power is not related to whether it's carbon fiber or glass. What you can do is you can add power to that carbon fiber without adding the weight. So that's, that's where it starts to make a lot of sense. So Bobby, I'll ask you that question in a different way. If we're looking at the power of a rod, I mean, what do you look for for a rod that's going to make longer casts? I like the way you guys are breaking down mm -hmm. speed. All right. You know, like you said, Jim, the weight of the overall rod, a lighter rod casts further. Bobby, like you said, length, the longer the rod, the further the cast. When we talk about stiffness, so what about power? What do we need to look for in the power of a rod in terms of making longer casts? Uh, you know, I, Jim covered it probably way better than I could, but the gist of what he was talking about is, you know, if you had like a really very soft action rod, like he's talking about like a glass rod or something, you're not going to get nearly the casting distance you would in like a, a rod that's, you know, a, a bit stiffer and maybe even has a faster tip. So, you know, I, I couldn't, I, there's not a whole lot I can add to it, but what I will talk about, uh, you're touch on just a little bit, and I hope we don't get past this a little bit when we start talking about rods and, and setting them up before we get into actual casting techniques is, you know, again, I may be getting ahead of us, so, so bear with me, but I thought it'd be real important to go like almost talk a little bit about, you know, not only just the raw power, but the God spacing and that sort of thing. And, you know, if I want to hear Jim, I, he's told me about it and I understand it, but I, I think it's really important that we touch on that because when you start talking about God spacing and laying the gods out, particularly on a spinning reel, you know, so it lines up and that sort of thing, that's going to add, that's going to do wonders for the casting distance alone. That's why we call him the godfather of God spacing, by the way. <laughs> that's where he got the name. Yeah. <laughs> Back to lure weight. Lure weight needs to be mentioned in that. You talk about power. You, you can't pick a big, powerful blank and cast a quarter-ounce grub with it. Right. You can't do it. You can, you can only effectively work with a quarter-ounce grub or a three-eighths-ounce grub if you've got a, a rod that's made to cast that amount of weight. So power is going to always be relative to the lure weight. Can gotcha. you follow what I'm saying there? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, sir, definitely. To some extent, you have to measure all these things. Now, this is where you get into action. If you've got an extra fast action, the top third is going to be where most of the bend occurs. So you can have a huge amount of power in the lower section of the rod, but you can still cast a smaller lure because the top section is going to, is going to load for you when you're trying to cast a lighter lure. Does that make sense? It does, definitely. It's all about taper. It's about the taper of the blank. If it gets real small in the top, you can take a really small mirrodyne and you can, I mean, you can flick it a long way with a medium or a medium heavy blank if you've got a flexible enough tip. But if you've got a rod that's got a moderate action and the bend occurs in the middle section of the rod, you feel like you're trying to cast with a broomstick when the, when the lure weight is too light. It's frustrating and it'll wear you out. It's, it's all got to work together. Yep, definitely makes sense. And I would think the inverse is also correct. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to overload an extra fast top. It's all got to work together. Like Bobby's mentioned, it's, once you have all that going for you, then you've got to put everything in the right place. And then you've got to look for another kind of sweet spot, which is what happens when you cast. How does the line move? when you make the cast. So that's another issue. All right, guys, let's take a few moments and hear from some of this week's sponsors. The hunting exchange. In this day and age, we all know it's a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. 
And that's where the Hunting Exchange steps in. Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items are also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or a knife. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. And brought to you by... Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Photonist 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and our hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And brought to you by... L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats, pontoon boats, to bigger bay boats, offshore boats, and hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, financial experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessory staff to support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff now locally owned six miles north of I-10 on 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or call 251-937-1380. So, Jim, we've talked about speed. We've talked about length. We've talked about power. We talked about action. And then you alluded to it is now it's how that line travels through those guides Tell me about God spacing. I guess you're going to kind of say it depends, right? Oh yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> it depends on it depends on a lot of things. <laughs> I guess that's why they when you go to see a custom rod builder, this guy's going to ask you all these questions. He's going to know what you're going to do with the rod, and that's going to influence the spacing. It's going to influence the blank. It's going to influence the power, the action, everything. I mean, but let's assume that you know what you want to do with the rod. Let's talk about the millions of people who are not custom rod builders who want to go buy a rod that's going to work well for them. First of all, you need to figure out what it is you're going to do with it. I mean, if it's going to be a pop and cork rod, based on what Bobby said, it's going to be seven, six. I use an eight foot high modulus blank for pop and corks and it's fantastic. You talk about range and power. Mm. Let's say you're, you know you're looking for a seven foot, six inch rod. You know, you want the lure weight to be around an ounce because maybe your popping cork weighs around an, around an ounce no matter what you're going to put on the bottom of it, whether it's a voodoo or a live shrimp or whatever it's going to be. So you need a, and you know that you probably want a, a medium action rod so that you can really load it. You can't snap cast a popping cork rod. You've got to 
it's almost a lob. It's not the flick that you can use with a slick or a grub or something like that. So you're looking for a medium action, a medium power, moderate action, seven foot, six inch blank. Figure that stuff out before you go to the store. So then you, now you can go in there and shop. Take the reel you're gonna use with you to the store. Find some blanks that fall into that category. Normally you're gonna pay more for a high modulus carbon blank. Go ahead and pick up a couple of those and pick up a couple of less expensive ones and take them over to the counter and mount the reel onto the rod. Take the spool off the reel. When you take the spool off, you're gonna expose the axle that the spool rides on. If you'll put the axle on the edge of the counter, line up the axle with the edge of a counter, you will see that that rod travels maybe 20, 25 inches, and then it comes off the counter because all spinning reels angle upward toward the blank when they're mounted. That's the direction the line wants to travel when it comes off the spool. So it seems logical, although it's done not nearly enough, it seems logical that the guides should be on that line. So now you've got half of the rod that's on the counter and half the rod off the counter. What happens after it comes off the counter doesn't matter. Those are called running guides and all you're trying to do is get the line to the tip of the rod and, and get the lure launched. What happens between the edge of the counter and the reel is where you have to take that big giant coil that's coming off that spinning reel and you've got to reduce it down to smooth running line by the time it gets to those running guides. And if you do that effectively, you add tremendous efficiency to the whole system because you take out as much friction as possible. All we're talking about here is friction. If it's poorly built, you've got friction on all the guides, you've got line slap in the blank, you've got all sorts of sources of lost energy before you even get to the top of the, the tip on the rod. And you've only been able to put so much energy into that lure. So if you sacrifice it with line going through those guides, slapping the blank and getting all messed up, and it looks chaotic. If you look at it, it looks very chaotic. But if you can manage that and get it out, you instantly add distance to the cast. So put the reel on the rod you're looking at and see when you line up the axle on the edge of the counter, see if the three guides, the three reduction guides that are the first three guides of that spinning rod are also on the edge of the counter. If they're not, that rod is not going to perform as well as one where the guides do line up on the counter. Because when the line comes off the spool, it's headed in a direction. You don't want to change that direction if you don't have to. Am I too far in the weeds now? No, no, I'm, I'm paying <laughs> no, attention. I'm soaking it all up. I'm also kind of thinking too, like this is a good opportunity where, like you said, you're taking the reel you intend to use, right? And you're trying to yeah. match it up to a rod, but it's also a situation where you could say, maybe I need to get a different reel for this rod. I mean, is, is there... Oh, yeah. Oh, you can definitely do that. But you're still faced with the same matching issue. You still got to match the, right. the rod. You got to match reel. the reel to the rod. So it's not necessarily a question of the type of reel or the, the way it's constructed. It's more about the size and the dimensions. and It's about the angle of the spool axle right. paired with any particular rod. And the yeah, size of the spool. But that's the size of the spool can make that first guide vary a little in size. But generally speaking, for the... 2,500, 3,000 series reels that we use here, you're going to be fine with a particular size stripper. But if, if you can get those lined up, if you can find one 
it's not necessarily a brand thing. You may find a bargain. There's, you know, there's a lot of good imported high carbon blanks that don't have those familiar brand names on them that may work beautifully with a particular reel and be half the price. And you'll be happier with one of those than you will paying top dollar for one that's just not made to work with the reel you're trying to put on it. Yeah, that's great advice. Jimmy, I'm gonna, I want to jump in and say something about what I see happen a lot with the people I take when they bring their own rods or, or you know, a lot of people. And you just touched, you just nailed it right there when you said what we're talking about here is, is uh, the size of the reel. And Joe, you mentioned it too. You know, you'll get a guy, I'll have a guy that shows up with this brand new rod and he's got a 4,500 size reel on it. It's a little seven foot you know, <laughs> rod and, and you, you know, so it, when you go down and size the reel, basically it changes that, changes that angle of that spool of the um, axis that Jim was talking about. So the smaller the reel, you know, the more it's going to line up with that X that you create, like he was talking about when you put the rod on the, on the counter, you know, so, you know, basically what you want to do is just get the right size reel to, that's what you're going to have to do is change the size of the reel to get it to match up the rod that you want to buy. And, um, and that's the biggest mistake that I see when people show up is they'll show up with a, typically it's a way oversized reel. Jim said 2,500 or 3,000. I use all 2,000 size reels, but, um, you know, and we're, t- we're going to be talking about line here in a minute, so we won't get in too much into that. But, you know, for, for what I'm doing with just speckled trout and redfish, you know, t- with braid, a 2,000, 2,500 size reel is more than enough you know, for what I'm doing. And so that's what I see at least with, uh, with people when they select their reels or, or they get a real bar, they just go throw a rod on it and, and it just, and there's no way it's going to match up. And that's another thing that creates those dreaded wind knots when you, that's a big problem there. When you start putting those giant reels on a small rod, uh, God, where that axis doesn't line up right is that's what creates those wind knots. I get people say, Oh man, that's all I get is wind. Well, that's all, that has a lot to do with, you know, having the wrong reel on the wrong rod. All right, guys, that is going to be a wrap for the show today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review wherever you listen. And if you would like us to email you the podcast, we'd love to do that too. All you got to do is text the word fishing to 314-665-1767, and we will email you the show each and every week. All right, guys, enjoy these beautiful lakes and rivers we got in the state of Alabama. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you all again next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape, call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and give Norman a call. And brought to you by North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama's home to eight picturesque lakes. Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. 
and also brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by northalabama.org. Are you looking for a real adventure? Whether you are experienced or just a weekend angler looking to land a big one, North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picturesque lakes. Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. 